when we started out, we weren't thinking big picture. I think we were just excited to offer something that we were passionate about and very quickly realized, oh wait, we just actually could grow and how then do we make that a possibility? Little secret, you know, most photos that we have on our Instagram, they're great photos. Those aren't because we're doing them, because we're in here at the shop. We're cutting carrots and <laughs> putting them in bags. So, you know, so those are our influencers that we just absolutely love because they've really been a huge impact on our growth. We kind of want it to have a lot of stuff on it, a lot of cool images, almost where's Waldily. So that when you're sitting there and you're waiting for your meal to cook, that you have a little something that you can look at. This is the Proco 360 podcast for people who love Colorado and love hearing from Colorado's most inventive and successful entrepreneurs. I'm Dave Tabor, and in today's episode, I'll be speaking with Jane Barden, co-founder of Farm to Summit, a Durango-based maker of dehydrated meals and related products. I'm looking forward to this conversation with Jane because it's fun to speak with Western Slope entrepreneurs. Mostly, though, I am always curious about, hey, I'm even a bit skeptical about idealists who decide to carve out a niche in a crowded market. Like in this case, there are plenty of makers of dehydrated or freeze-dried camping meals. So beyond the really nice packaging, I want to explore how Jane and her partner, Louise, uh, have been growing the Farm to Summit brand. So Jane, I know you're up for my poking and prodding about this. So glad you're with me on Proco 360. Hey, Dave. Thanks for having me here today. Yeah. So, you know, I gave a quick overview of Farm to Summit. I'm sure you can do a better job. So dive in. Sure. Yeah. So our kind of like our, our base story, right? So my partner, Louise, and I are, uh, you know, we're both avid outdoors women. We we love to backpack. We love to hike. We lo- really love mountain biking. Um, but at that particular time, we had just moved back to Durango for myself. I had gone to Fort Lewis College, so I I know the area really well, and I convinced to, convinced Louise to come back here with me. Um, so you know, we were just kind of scrapping it together, job wise, and um, I myself was working at a just doing some marketing work for a realtor in town, and she was working with the forest service. So the forest service job for her um, involves a lot of backpacking. So we saw with her coworkers, they were complaining about these backpacking meals. They're saying, oh, you know, these, are, these aren't very good. They don't leave me feeling very good. They're expensive. I'm still hungry. And the list just kind of went on and on. So we kind of got that idea. Well, what, you know, we could probably give this a stab. Let's try making our own meals. Um, for ourselves and for our friends. I have a background in uh, cooking and culinary arts. So it kind of just kind of fell in together. And then um, one other aspect was I grew up on a farm. So while while working this marketing role, I was also volunteering for a few friends on their produce farms here in Durango. And so it just was a no brainer. This is where we're going to get our produce. We're already here. And they were happy to send us home with their seconds and surplus produce. So we used that to start creating and, you know, experimenting, making these meals. Turns out they tasted pretty good. We were doing well. Um, The friends were loving it. And so then we Mm. kind of just started saying, okay, well, let's take this to the farmer's market and just see if this is actually something that we can work with. Um, And then right away from the beginning, um, Louise has a background in uh, research ecology with a focus on sustainability. So for her and for myself, we thought, 
if we're going to do this, we've got to do it right from day one. So none of that Tetra Pak. Let's find some good packaging that's actually compostable, recyclable, whatever. Let's go search and see what we can find and use local produce, of course, as much as possible. And for me, it was a huge, um, it was very important to focus on using imperfect produce. Yeah. Imperfect, which is produce that would otherwise perhaps even be discarded. Right. Right. But getting back to this thing. So you decided to create your own dehydrated product Mm -hmm. essentially to take camping with you. Is that what happened? Yeah. So how do you do that? You're in your kitchen, you use a dehydrator or what, a little machine on your, on your counter or how does that work? Right. Well, you know, Louisa was in Yellowstone actually when the the real uh, idea sprung. So she called me as soon as she got back into service and said, we need to get a dehydrator. So we ordered one, you know, on the spot pretty much, had it ordered to the house. So we just had a little at-home Excalibur, if you know dehydrators, but it's just 14 little trays. So we just plugged that thing in and just started testing, you know, like how how well do carrots dehydrate like this as opposed to like this, you know? So it was kind of a fun time. And this was all just to create, right. This was to create meals for yourselves. Was it, it was, sounds like it was kind of a fun, almost like a puzzle thing. Like, can we do this? Can we make ourselves a meal? Is that kind of how it worked out? Definitely. And, you know, we're both entrepreneur minded people. So I think we both kind of knew if this goes well for ourselves, maybe we can try to sell it. Hmm. So, I mean, I would be lying if I didn't say that we were hoping to create a business for ourselves, but at the same time, if this is just for us, then that's great too. We'll definitely put used to it. Yeah, but that's a cool way to do it. I mean, you know, doing something, either outcome is okay. <laughs> exactly. But uh, with that mindset towards a business, that's cool. But now, when you created your own, I know, you know, like every entrepreneur, you go to your friends, you go to your family and they all say, oh yeah, this is so great. You should start a business out of it. You know, and like, but how do you, what makes you think that really, or at the time, what made you think like this really is, an opportunity rather than just your friends saying we love you in their own way. Right. <laughs> That's a good question. Maybe just blind confidence. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, I think for us, it it really, uh, a big impact was just location, where we are, and um, and the fact that there were really only, a, you know, there's maybe three or four Big guys, let's say. Big brands, yeah. So I just think being in Durango, we're really proud of where we're from as a city um, and so, and as a state, right? Colorado. So for us, it was kind of like, well, there's not, I mean, Backpackers Pantry is out of Boulder, but there's nothing down here in Durango and people love local pride. So why not give, like, let's give them something that's from the local region that's sourced here and speaks to them. Yeah, but that's such a small niche. I mean, you could sell, what, a few hundred a year if you only focused in the Durango area. Yeah, I think when we started out, we weren't thinking big picture. I think we were just excited to offer something that we were passionate about and very quickly realized, oh, wait, well, this actually could grow. And how then do we make that a possibility? Yeah. Um, and that's when we kind of really started. That's when we went full time, right? That's when yeah. we decided we might have something here. Yeah, because I mean, otherwise, if you, it's a good thing because otherwise you'd be locally famous and broke. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't sound sustainable. (laughs) No, probably not. And now as you, as you look at, okay, so you, you create a product that you and Louise think is a better product, your friends, and now your small, but growing customer base tell you is better. 
but really, how do you start differentiating and carving out, you know, a expansion among those big players that are already in the market? Right. Um, well, there's a there's a few things. I mean, just from my own kind of boots on the grounds, getting out there and talking to uh, retailers and or just calling if they're too far away, right? Um, but I've noticed that they a lot of the independent retailers specifically, they only carry one or two brands. Typically, that's not always the case, of course, but, um, you know, and they're finding that their consumer is kind of tired of the same, mm. same option. So I'm getting that feedback saying, hey, the consumer's ready for something different. And that's not even talking about all the, um, you know, the bells and whistles that we have to offer. That's just flavor. That's just variety. Um, so I think by offering something different for folks to enjoy and then adding on top of it, hey, this is packaged as sustainably as we can possibly do. And it's we offer vegetarian options. We offer vegan options. And there's been a huge demand for those specific style. Yeah. But I mean, any of the established brands could simply do that if they wanted to. But I think sure. what, what just resonated is that, you know, packaging gets, I mean, we're talking about food, but it, packaging gets stale. You know, just sort of people like to try something new and different. And yes, are, are, is that what you were offering these independent retailers as a chance to give their customers something new and different? Yes, I think definitely something new and something different. And then hopefully I, I think there is a big shift within um, consumerism towards something more sustainable and something yeah. that they can stand behind not you know not only because they like it but because they enjoy they they stand for what the company stands for yeah and you know to me it, it sounds like that like I, I always wonder about sustainability as a driver of consumer choice okay. and i think you know the people i've spoken to over the years tell me that it it's kind of the way you've described it it's an add-on uh, differentiator that it may not be enough for consumers to actually switch brands but it certainly compounds uh, upon a desire to do that, right? I think so. Yeah. I think yeah. so, definitely. And in your backpacker world, I think it's probably a stronger uh, driver than, you know, for other products perhaps, right? I think so too, yes. So, I mean, our goal is, you know, it's our missions are to keep true to that sustainability uh, motto. And, you know, with the upcycled food to kind of cut back on food waste, those are just things mm -hmm. that we're passionate about. And so we're trying to take those things and then create meals that are so dang good that mm. they want them based off of that. And then they're excited because they're doing something good by buying them. Yeah. I'm going to ask you about that in a minute. First, I want to remind listeners, this is Proco 360, named best Colorado business podcast the last three years. I'm your host, Dave Tabor. And this is the podcast for people who love Colorado and the stories of Colorado businesses and entrepreneurs. My guest today is Jane Barden, co-founder of Farm to Summit. Thanks to our sponsors, Kinsley Meetings. And Kinsley Meetings is Proco 360's longest running sponsor. Their business is growing based on a great reputation for planning and conducting meetings with lots of variables. Uh, also, Via Technologies, thanks for hosting Proco 360 and for all the great help your team gives me around managing the website. Finally, Colorado Biz Magazine, our partnership is one of building our audiences together. Please go to Proco360.com and check out the sponsors. Um, okay, so you, getting back to Jane, um, I am intrigued with the idea of, of uh, making products uh, for backpacking that remain healthy. 
uh, because you look at a lot of products and they're like, you know, not, I mean, in order to make them taste good, they're not all that nutritious or they have too much of something. Uh, I noticed yours are pretty low in sugar. You know, they're not super low in sodium, but they're better than others. So, I mean, how do you do that? Yeah, exactly. So the sodium is a, is a big, big one that we get asked about a lot. Um, and turns out is tricky. Mm-hmm. We noticed for sure right away that most of the other options are super high in sodium. It's one, of, it's a natural preservative. So of course, and it helps either things taste better or maybe masks flavors. I'm not sure. Um, mm. But for us, we really try to add as little salt as possible to any of our mixes um, to keep that sodium level down. And um, realistically, uh, we just aim for good flavor. And a lot of times you don't need a ton of salt. Um, so I, I think that the way we're able to keep things healthy and while being super flavorful is just using a lot of the high quality produce that we have. Um, and, you know, when we set out, we didn't intend to be completely vegetarian, but that's what we have access to. And that's what we like to eat. So um, by getting all these good quality veggies and you can tell the difference in the meals when you just when you open them up. Even after they're dehydrated? Yeah, they hold their nutrition uh, after they're dehydrated. And we do a little bit different process of actually uh, dehydrating them instead of just raw veggies, which I think is what most companies do um, for time efficiency. But a lot of times we do a kind of like a a flash um, a flash boil on them, just like a blanch maybe. And then that way when they're dehydrated, not only do they look better, they're much brighter, but when they get rehydrated, they are almost more cooked. Their flavor, their texture's better, the flavor's hmm. better. I'm not a scientist, so <laughs> I don't yeah. actually know the, the science behind it, but it seems to work and it's really it's really great. And it's one of those things where we'll never move away from it because the quality is so much better. That's cool. Now you've also added things like lattes That's right. to your product, which, which, you know, why not? It's fun, right? Totally. Yeah. Well, and for us too, Louise, I mean, we both served our time probably as baristas in the past, but Louise worked <laughs> at a coffee shop for a while. And we both just are those folks that when we're out backpacking, we're going to need some coffee. Yeah. That would be super cool if you could pour the water in and then it would foam up to, uh, to have your brand. Yes. Can you figure that out? <laughs> yeah, I'll get right on that, Dave. <laughs> That'd be cool. Um, so talk about your packaging because you've got a, a package that you call omnidegradable and that's a great term and I see you've trademarked it, but is it a word or is it an actual package that you have trademarked, like patented? Sure. So it's actually not our trademark, um, but we we get those bags from a company out of Canada and they've trademarked it and we did so much research, Dave, t- trying to figure out what kind of bag we could use that wasn't Petra Pack. Yeah. Um, that would, you know, be compostable, but also water safe and actually durable enough to to do the job for us to hold that water and cook a meal. Um, and so we finally found this company out of Canada and they are the manufacturers of these bags. So Omnidegradable is it's a compostable bag, but they kind of take it one step further in that it, if this bag were to end up in a landfill, it will still decompose. So anywhere microbes are present, it will decompose. And you can burn it too without a problem. You can. Yeah, of course, if, if there's no fire ban. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so for us, that was really huge because, um, you know, in, in rural cities or rural towns, um, you know, 
we have compost here in Durango, but it's not necessarily equipped to handle all types of compost. So even though this bag may be compostable, if it doesn't go to the right facility, it's still going to be trash. Whereas omnidegradable ends up in the landfill, it's still going to decompose. So that yeah, kind of yeah, made us just yeah. feel really clean about what yeah. we were doing. So what's, what's uh, like, how are you producing this now? Because you've obviously moved out of your kitchen. So yes, uh, thankfully. <laughs> what's the, yeah. What's the production process look like now? Sure. Um, yeah, we've, we've been able to take a few steps. You know, we got out of the kitchen as fast as possible. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't handle that. And um, we were in a shared commercial kitchen for a bit. And then now we have a nice spot on North Main within Durango. You know, we had to do quite a bit of change, uh, changing to the, to the building to make it what we need. But as of now, it's a commercial kitchen and it's, it's everything for us. We've got, um, you know, a big kitchen where we can process two large dehydrators, commercial size that we can dehydrate. We could use a few more. So if you know anybody, uh-huh. <laughs> and then, uh, and a packaging room, that's just, you know, all dry, all dry ingredients. And so. Is there any automation in your packaging yet, or are you still doing it by hand? Um, it's a mix of the two. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it, you have to get some scale before you can afford equipment that actually fills bags and all that kind of stuff, right? Oh, yeah. And we're, we're looking to it. That's for sure. Um, and we're, we're definitely growing out of this space as we kind of anticipated, and it's a good problem to have. Um, but that's kind of our next step and challenge is finding a new home, um, hopefully within Durango. Um, so- We'll be looking to expand to a warehouse. Yeah, hopefully. That's the goal. How are you funded? Um, well, a couple ways, but you know, in the beginning, we were actually able to generate a lot of revenue on our own to kind of funnel funnel back in and pump it up. But then we went through the SCAPE program here in Durango, um, and that was excellent. We loved that and got a ton of mentorship, um, huge access to a great network, and and then they helped fund us as well. So what kind of funding does it take to get to where you are at this point? You mean figures? Yeah. Um, you know, I think we've gotten about, it's a good question. Let's see. Hmm. Somewhere between 200 and 300. Yeah. So, you know, seems like a lot at first, but in the grand scheme of things, not that much money. No. You know, and of course, when we were starting out, it was... That was a huge sum of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now I'm looking at it thinking, oh my gosh, we need so much more. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, to buy the equipment, to move. Right, to, yeah. equipment. And uh, and that was a big, big thing in the beginning. You know, we took out a loan uh, in order to just get this kitchen outfitted. And, mm. and it was tricky too during post-COVID times with steel prices, stainless steel prices were higher. And also just yep. there was a, a huge weight to get them. But, you know, we, we made it work. And um and we love where we're at. Yeah. So you now you're growing, obviously. How much marketing are you doing? How much of it's organic growth versus like right. reaching out, developing customer base, paying to do that and so forth? I would say a surprising amount is organic. Um, and we have done some marketing uh, with social media, but uh, most of the marketing that we've gotten has been I, I guess when I'm looking at social media, very organic. You know, we've been able to just grow our our followers by just generating good quality content um, and not spending much money at all, uh, which has been huge. Yeah. Um, people are excited about the brand and they're excited to showcase it for us. 
So that's been really huge. And we've been able to spread the word through word of mouth or social media. Yeah. I would think users who are sort of devotees, you know, they want, this is what I hear from other sort of scrappy startups in a specialized niches that the, you know, users are fans and they want to self-identify and promote the product really almost to help you. Oh, that's exactly it. It's so fun. And it's so, I don't know, fulfilling, right. To, to have that support. And, and so many people are so excited to promote us just because they want to. Um, and then secondly, they, you know, they might want a few meals and some lattes, yeah, yeah. which we're happy to send them to, you know, we want people to be excited about the meals. So it's, it's a win-win. Really? So you've got a, you've got a bit of influencer stuff going on where they're promoting and you're sending and. Yeah. I mean, I, if a little secret, you know, most photos that we have on our Instagram, they're great photos. Those aren't because we're doing them because we're in yeah. here at the shop, we're cutting carrots and <laughs> putting them in bags. So, you know, so those are our influencers that we just absolutely love because they've really been a huge impact on our growth. Yeah. Now this is a, a woman owned company. You and your partner, Louise own it. Do you find that you're attracting customers that are more women, outdoor women uh, versus everybody? I think so. Um, yeah. Which, yeah. Um, I, I hadn't given too much thought to in the beginning, but yes, I think it's not an overwhelming amount more, but we certainly do have a higher percentage of women followers rather than men. Um, so that's kind of one of our goals right? to, to yeah. attract some more guys. But, um, you know, not to say that we don't have that, like I said, but um, yeah, it's interesting to see. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think uh, I, I'm thinking of my interview uh, with was then called She Fly, but now Nara with Gigi, okay. you probably know of Gigi. Uh, Gigi Edwards and her business, of course, I, I assumed it was all women, uh, but in fact, they're building other products. But, you know, I think there is sort of a, uh, at least in her case and something in your case too, a desire for women to support women entrepreneurs through with great products. Definitely. Yes. And, and I think too, just um, having entered into this space of, as a female entrepreneur, um, there's a lot lot of buzz going around um within the community of other female entrepreneurs and so you know they're just everyone's eager and and ready to support each other which is yeah. super powerful I, I it seems to be and as you move forward i mean you've uh, as you evolve the business and so forth you're dealing with all you're still a scrappy startup so you're dealing with meeting demand you're dealing with marketing gaining momentum becoming profitable i mean what do you think by the way are you profitable yet um, yes and no. <laughs> depends, depends whether we count depends. your wages. <laughs> sure, sure. Depends. Um, you know, we're definitely, we've definitely grown a lot. I can tell you that, but I would say it's tough to say that we're profitable because we're also pushing growth. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, any profits are getting pushed right back into the company to, to grow. Yeah. So basically if you stop, if you just started taking money out, you could, but that's not really what you want to do. I think so. Yes. I mean, we're not, that's, yeah, we're not done here. So yeah. As you look at the next year or two, what do you think are the the biggest challenges that you've got? Sure. Um, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges we have is, is finding a new location. Um, and that's just because we're pretty adamant about staying within the area. We love it here. This mm -hmm. is our home. This is our community. Um, and we wouldn't be here without them. And 
um, you know, warehouse space is kind of hard to find in Durango um, and real estate is expensive. So mm -hmm. I think it's just going to be, a, you know, not to say that it's impossible. It's just going to be a little tricky. So we're getting getting prepped and ready for that um, and then outfitting that place um, to get us going. And honestly, that's the biggest challenge I see right now. That's interesting and unfortunate because that ought to be like, you know, like one of the easy things, sure. Uh, you know, compared to what other entrepreneurs deal with, which has to do with supply chain or sure. uh, financing or other things, like just finding right. a place to expand to. That's, I don't know. Yeah. We got to talk to our friend Jack Llewellyn over at the chamber, don't we? Let's Maybe do he it. can help you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the more I talk about it, you know, someone's going to come knocking. So, <laughs> oh, for sure. So, what drives you and Louise the most as you look forward to what? What gets you energized the most? Right. Um, well, I think a couple things, and I'll speak for myself on this. I think Louise would would echo, but um, I I'm excited to expand on the sales end of things. I'm excited to expand into other markets and to because we've done so well. We've got such positive feedback from pretty much just Colorado. I mean, we're within the four corners, and we have expanded. I think we're in 18 states now, but. Um, to be able to really tap into some other markets and start seeing the feedback that we get within those areas. I'm really looking forward to that. And then for me also, um, as we grow, you know, we're going to be needing more on the supply side and being able to expand uh, the farms that we're working with. Mm, um, yeah. For me, I, you know, I have a personal love there, uh, having grown up on a farm. So it just is a really beautiful thing for me to be able to work with the people that I so deeply connect hmm. with and um you know to keep con to continue growing this and creating this seconds market for the farmers within this area um and right now we have a pretty much four four core farms that we work with and then a few others speckled that kind of call us when they have something excess or uh that came out seconds so yeah being able to expand that to more just further you know because there's there's a lot of opportunity surprisingly sure. within the Southwest Colorado or Colorado in general. And I suppose if you expanded your geographic footprint, you'd also uh, perhaps be able to get different produce from different parts of the country uh, and change your product line in that way too. Exactly. That was actually just what I was going to go to oh. next is, <laughs> is some product innovation. So yeah, I mean, the more we have access to, and that's kind of how our recipes started was because we have these ingredients available to us. So we'll create a meal around that with more produce available to us, we can really get more creative and introduce a few more recipes to the lineup. That's cool. And, and, and I, I, I wanted to uh, make sure I comment too on your packaging, the the imagery on it. I think it's kind of cool. It's also kind of nostalgic. And I suppose, I don't know, where did that idea come from versus, you know, cool and contemporary or whatever, you know, right. it's, it's like monochromatic. It's not, you know, old school looking. Where'd that? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think that we, I don't know, maybe we're old souls, but we both <laughs> wanted something that looked a little bit you know, older, more vintagey, I guess. Yeah. Um, it just seems more fun to us. It's probably just personal taste. And then um, one thing when we started, we worked with a branding agency actually out of Boulder that was fantastic, um, Moxie Sozo, but they were so great to work with and they, um, they really, you know, we're not the artists, so we just gave them kind of what we thought we wanted and they recreated it. And one of the things we said was, we kind of want it, we want it have, to have a lot of stuff on it, a lot of cool images, almost where's Waldo-y. 
So that when uh, you're sitting uh. there and you're waiting for your meal to cook, that you have a little something that you can look at, you know, and maybe kill the time a little bit. So I, I think it turned out really well. That's kind of cool. So it creates a consumer experience beyond just the food. Yeah, that's what we were hoping for. That's super cool. And I think it does. Now that you mention it, you know, it reminds me of the old Boulder company, uh, which is still around, Celestial Tea. Celestial oh, seasons. Yes. You know, they did kind of the same thing. Read the package, you know, sort of right. immerse the customer in your brand. And it sounds like that's what you're doing too. Sure. Yeah, exactly. That's really neat. Hey, let's wrap on that note. I'm your host, Dave Tabor. Today on Proco 360, you've been listening to my conversation with Jane Barden, co-founder of Farm to Summit. I'm glad you could join me, Jane, and I look forward to seeing the product grow. Thank you, Dave. Yeah, it's been great to be here today. Thank you so much. Um, and just a shout out for the viewers, if they are interested in learning more about Farm to Summit, you can go to www.farmtosummit.com or follow us on Instagram. Excellent. Hey, I want to give a shout out too to Margaret Hederman of Startup Colorado. She's the one who connected us, right, Jane? That was a while ago, but I'm glad we're finally together. Oh, that's right. Yes. Thank you, Margaret. Yeah, listeners, glad you're here on Proco 360, where we say live, work, love Colorado, because you and I and my guests can be successful anywhere. And we choose Colorado. You make the show successful by subscribing to the Proco 360 podcast. And if you haven't yet, it's a huge help if you submit a review in your app. Thanks again to show sponsors via Technologies, Kinsley Meetings, and Colorado Biz Magazine. That's the show. Live, work, love, Colorado. Colorado.